risen. Christ is risen. I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. It's the, from the Gospel of John. Jesus saying, I will see you again, your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So we have the myrrh-bearing women at the break of dawn, drawing near to the tomb of the life-giver. This is what we've been singing. They found an angel sitting upon the stone. He greeted them with these words, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you mourn the incorrupt amid, cor the incorrupt amid corruption? Go and proclaim the glad tidings to the disciples. So on the Sunday of the myrrh bearers, the church has set forth before us a mystery of like thirsting and loving after God and a God who thirsts and loves after us. We have eight women and two men, depending on the lists, by the way. The two men are always the same, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, secret disciples who finally take courage. And we have eight women, some lists, the Theotokos in the list, then Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Salome, Mary the wife of Clopas, Susanna, Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, and then we've got Joseph and Nicodemus. Now last Sunday we had Thomas, this Sunday we have the myrrh-bearing women. Thomas was last Sunday because the gospel reads that way. Eight days after the resurrection, you know, Thomas who wasn't with them and Jesus came among them and showed himself to Thomas because Thomas had said, unless I can put my fingers in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I won't believe. So Jesus is like, fine. And he comes back around for Thomas eight days later. We have the myrrh-bearing women, women today and the, the two fellas. We have them today. And this is like taking us back two weeks, because we we're back to the events right around the death and the resurrection of Christ. We're back to, to the resurrection. Hi, Weezy. She's like, Father. So then the next three weeks, the next three weeks, will not like follow chronological, it won't really take us back to the resurrection, it'll be life in the resurrection. Like what is it to be resurrected and what does that mean? But today, we've got the uh, myrrh-bearing women. We know the Jews honored the Sabbath because on the seventh day God rested from all the work he had made when he created the world. And according to the way that time was measured, or the days were measured in biblical, kind of a biblical thought, the days were the evening and the morning, the first day. That's Genesis 1-5. So the days were counted from the evening to the morning. We kind of do it from like whenever we wake up to whenever we go to bed, you know, 12 midnight to midnight. But liturgically, we still kind of keep this practice, right? So last night at Vespers, we were singing about the myrrh-bearing women. We weren't singing about like whoever was on Saturday morning. So liturgically, we kind of keep this same sort of practice. The evening before is part of today. So the full liturgical cycle, Vespers, Orthros, and Liturgy are all on the same theme, including like today, the myrrh-bearing women. What this means is the Jewish Passover begins at 6 p.m. Jesus cries out on the cross. It is finished at 3 p.m. There is three hours. That's all they've got between Christ's death and needing to bury him before the Passover begins. So everything moves very fast. And it's the reason that there was an anointment of the body. 
the women did not have time to take care of honoring the departed. They did not have time for it. It just couldn't be done in that time. Jesus is still on the cross. So it is Joseph of Arimathea who goes to Pilate and asks that his body be taken down and that he could bury it. I mean, this is an incredible thing. I don't know if you've given this um, thought. All of them, the myrrh-bearing women, Joseph and Nicodemus, their hearts are burning. You know, and they all, ten of them, have to, like, take courage and defy the odds. You know, for the myrrh-bearing women, they have to defy the odds. They're... Jesus has been buried now. They have to get the ointment and the spices, which must have been difficult on a Passover. But they find a way to get them. And they are just waiting for Sunday morning to arrive so they can rush to the tomb. And it says they did. They rushed to the tomb at the break of dawn. They're running there, carrying these spices. They have some odds to, to defy. A stone that's covering the tomb that's too big for them to roll back, and they're worried about it, they say. Guards who have been posted... So that they won't enter the tomb and steal the body of Jesus. And uh, just the danger of being recognized. I mean, the danger of being like brought into that community with Jesus. He was just hung on a cross. I mean, we'd be like, all right, wait a minute. You know, like basically they were they could have been going to their deaths. They don't know. So, what's really fun, just as a little aside, like pause, um, is that they're taking ointment to go and anoint Jesus. In the Song of Songs in the Old Testament, the name of the Lord is referred to as ointment poured forth. That's what Jesus is referred to in the Song of Songs of the Old Testament. He's called ointment poured forth. They are taking ointment to go anoint the one who is called ointment poured forth. The one who anointed all of creation. He is the anointed one. The Christ actually means that Christ means anointed one. So they're going to anoint the anointment poured forth, the anointed one with ointment. The one who sustains all creation. Who created it and then sustains it. Just a little note. It's so sweet, you know. Incredible. Joseph of Arimathea, honorable, we call him pious, he was a disciple of Jesus, but we know this, this is what scripture says, he was a disciple secretly, no, for fear of the Jews. He was driven also by the love and a yearning for Christ, and this love gave him courage to present himself before Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. He just wasn't willing to go one more day. In secret. He just is done with it, right? He's just over the fear. He's, he has to give up everything, by the way, to do this, right? He has to give up the dignity of being a member of the Sanhedrin. He's probably risking his wealth, and he's certainly risking the good opinion of everyone whose opinion mattered to him up to that point. He's putting everything on the line because he's just done like the women were done like worrying about the stone and the guards and baby being killed. Joseph of Arimathea, same thing. He's just 
not going to waste another day. He's going to get on the right side of this and stay over on the right side of this, period. He's going to associate him with himself with Christ publicly, and that's going to be it. And it takes incredible boldness. The day that this has happened, this is the, that Christ has been killed, the day that Pilate, who is weak-willed and goes against his wife's admonition, everything... Even if, like I said, his own will was not to crucify Christ, and he still is so weak-willed he went against his own will. But he did put Christ on the cross. That is the guy that Joseph is going up to say, can I have his body? I mean, just imagine, like, the danger he put himself in. I mean, the Romans weren't known for, like, all caution. They didn't care for Christianity. They were against it. Christ had caused them problems. He's like, yeah. I want his body, and I don't care anymore what you might do to me or what's at risk. And finally, it's mentioned in the gospel, another secret disciple, moved by the very same love and yearning for Christ, takes courage. Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the one that came to Jesus by night and had this incredible conversation. If you have not, if you're not, if you can't recall that conversation, you need to go reread this. It is so good. Jesus basically convinces Nicodemus. This is one that's like, you've got to be born again. He says, can a man be born again? Can he go back into his mother's womb? And he's like, you have to be born of water and the spirit. Like all of this incredible, like we know you're from God. That's what Nicodemus says. No one could do what you do if he wasn't. Like Nicodemus is basically convinced he's the Messiah in that middle of the night conversation. But what is it? Wealth and stature, his friends. He's just not willing at that point to go all in. Jesus gets killed. By the way, the Pharisees, who's he? Nicodemus is one of the leading Pharisees. The Pharisees thought if you kill this guy, you scatter the sheep. You get rid of Jesus, this whole thing is done. We got no more problems. What happened? It emboldened everybody. The graves are opened, there is an earthquake. There is an eclipse of the sun for three hours. I mean, they thought they were just getting rid of this problem for themselves. And what they did was they killed God. All creation reacts to it. The dead come back to life. To this minute, the dead come back to life because of this. And Nicodemus, who had, like, he was just, like, laying low, is emboldened. It's incredible. He becomes convinced that Jesus is the Christ and doesn't worry about his honors or reputation. He's just not willing to live another day in secret. Not willing to live another day in fear. He's just not willing to not be with Christ no matter what. Like, losing the job, losing the money, and whatever, stature, you know, going to jail. That's, that's all good as long as he's with Christ. He's fine. You know, the other thing this means is there were a lot of those who were following Jesus secretly. If we've got these two. There must have been just tons of regular folk who were all in for Jesus, but just couldn't do it publicly somehow. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? We know St. Paul will say that faith without works is dead, but maybe we can say faith without love doesn't move. Because it takes love to make us move. You know, we have to surrender ourselves to the love of God. 
And I will tell you that it will probably mean, no, I just say it truly. It, it will mean that you will lose your wits a little bit. If you play it safe all the time, you will be like those hiding in secret. But if you give yourself to Christ, you're going to come off like crazy. And now maybe I'll just ask, are you willing to risk that? Are you really, are you willing to like put it on the line? Say, I will not live even one more day without just going for it. You know, people tell me, I wish, Father, I, you know, prayed more, read the scriptures more. I want to, like, what's holding us back? Let's just go for it, you know? We so often go with the world or play these games or we're kind of hooked on vice or something. And we all, I mean, me, we all are. But to fight against that and finally take an account of the things that are temporary and corruptible and have courage to go for the things that are lasting, namely our own souls and the souls of those who love us, the souls of those we're responsible for. Our sweetest Lord Jesus is not simply the founder of some world religion or just a historical figure or some psychological memory or, as the Hindus say, a problem. He is the deathless one. He is the Lord God. He is the one who is Lord of all and has promised to abide with the faithful to the end of the world. I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Saint Silouan the Athenite, whose relics we have in the altar, says in simplicity and wisdom, to believe that God exists is one thing, to know God another. The Lord is not known through learning, but by the Holy Spirit. St. Silouan the Athenite. A heart that knows how to converse with God is more important than the most educated person in the world. This is the kind of theme always, you know. Is it about the head or is it about the heart? You know, if we're not careful, we'll just do all of our faith like Logically, like I'm convinced by the precepts I've read and what I've been told, Jesus is God. I'm convinced. I adhere to those, you know, precepts. Like just all, like all mental, a mental thing. Or will we give ourselves over to divine love and like lose our like logic just a little bit in our reason? And by, you know... Was it Nicodemus? Joseph. Which one bought a hundred pounds of spices? Joseph? He bought a hundred pounds. Have you picked up a hundred pounds lately? I mean, 99% of you can't do it. I'm not, I'm in the 99%. Like, I'm just accounting that one of you can, but I don't know who you are. Unless, unless Emmanuel's here, I don't think he's here. <laughs> he's fighting jiu-jitsu in California, I think. He got fourth place, anyways. Um, yeah, a hundred pounds. That's like he's lost his mind a little bit. Did he need a hundred pounds? The women were getting spices also. He just was like, I'm getting, how, how much do you have? I'll have all of it. I mean, there had to be some crazy there. A hundred pounds. I love it. It's just like, I love that they told us it's a hundred pounds. Like, why is that in there? Because it's like too much. It had to be too much. It doesn't take that much. It can't. It just can't take that much. 
I will see you again. Oh. I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. He will see us again. I will see you again, it says. I think we want to hear, we will see him again. He says, I will see you again. He is looking for us. He has the eyes of mercy. He's finding us. He's walking in the garden saying, Adam, where are you? You know, he's walking in Mesa saying, where are you? You know, our sweetest Lord Jesus, invisible presence, sustains, invigorates, and nourishes us. And the sweet tears he gives falls like raindrops on the dry earth of our hearts. Let's not waste another minute. The earthly things of this world make so much racket and they turn our hearts into marketplaces. And what we want is our hearts to turn into monasteries, you know, like quiet ones. Like really quiet, not noisy circus monasteries, but like super quiet monasteries, you know, where there's just lots of peace and the air feels different when you walk onto the campus. I don't know how many visitors have told me when they show up at our place, it feels like a monastery. Well, I know what they mean, you know, we don't, no one lives here. They just mean like there's like peace. That's what we, imagine that's what our heart, that's what we want for our hearts, that kind of place. And not the busy marketplace, you know, the mall or something, you know, the you know, flea market or something. It's not what we want, you know. We want this peace. Our souls will only find rest in God. We have to turn our hearts to the Lord. Father, don't turn your face away from us, your children. We can't make it if you deprive us of, of your love. If he protects us, nothing will overwhelm us. I mean, think how so easily overwhelmed we are. If there's anything in the world holding you back, what is it? Let nothing stop you. Don't waste another minute. Don't waste another minute. Once Jesus was crucified, they were all set free. Nothing held them back. That's what this gospel passage is about today. Nothing held the murmuring women back. They were done being scared or waiting or whatever. You know, it says at the cross that all of them fled, just so we're clear. The women were the last ones to flee. But the, cross, the gospel says they, were all, they all fled. And now, minutes later, just the next day, really, that day, even that same day, Nothing in the world meant as much to them as Christ. Nothing was worth it. Jesus was the only one. He sees us. Our hearts rejoice. And the passage from John chapter 16 says, No one can take that from you. I'm going to read it one last time to close. I see you again. I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Christ is risen! Christ is risen! Christ is risen! Christ is risen. Christ is risen.